Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 2, 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for I behold, I br- for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. I do love a lot of the music at Christmas, as I know a lot of you do, and uh, one of the ones I've enjoyed listening to on sort of the playlist that I have is... uh, do you hear what I hear? And you can hear in these lyrics some of the, the magic of Christmas and some of the imagination and creativity. Do you hear what I hear? Said the night wind to the little lamb. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little lamb. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? A star, a star dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite with a tail as big as a kite, said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? Ringing through the sky, shepherd boy, do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? A song, a song high above the trees with a voice as big as the sea, with a voice as big as the sea. Uh, God is speaking to us even today. He comes to reveal himself through the word today with a voice as big as the sea. You see all these metaphors and imagery in here. But Christmas is about rediscovering the child within us because Jesus said if you lose that ability to be childlike, um, you can't see him and the kingdom. You won't experience it. So part of Christmas is reminding us Yes, Christmas is for everybody, but it's to help everybody become a child again and enter into the truth that unless that's happening, we miss what God has for us. So again, I want to go back to what I shared with the children. 
And again, for the adults here, if you really want to be serious now, uh, we'll have another contest for the adults. I want you to write me a story of you being an instrument at Christmas. Just It could be a page, it could be a couple of pages, but some of you are really good writers, thinkers, but I want to encourage you to use your creativity, imagination, because a lot of times we have to come at Christmas in a different way than we normally would because we're so left brain and we're so into the ideas, the facts, the information, but our hearts are not engaging with what, um, with what God has for us this Christmas. So, all right, so we're going we're gonna to do just uh, we can go live here because we're a smaller group here today. So I already, already asked Sam what he would be. So this is our uh, Sam in the service. He would be a flute. And Lily would be a, a cello. All right, Lily would be a cello. All right, so okay. All right, so Allie, what would you be at Christmas time? What intro? What? A piano, okay. Dean, what would you be? You're going to go with the tuba. I love it, brother. You're tracking with me. Okay, Emma, what would you be? Tambourine. I knew you'd say that. I thought about that. You would be a tambourine. All right, all right. So, yeah. So, Dr. Sider, what would you be? French horn. French horn. There we go. All right, all right. Anybody else want to volunteer? What? Yeah, Mark. All right, all right, tuba. All right, so we'll make it a threesome here, the three amigos. I'd be a tuba, too. So uh, so last year, this time, I was the interim pastor in Cambridge, Mass., at Christ the King. They have a Christmas concert every year. And I found out that one of the elders up there, who's a professor at one of the schools there, and has a PhD in mathematics, amazing guy. And, um, and so we kind of did this exercise. And I asked him, what would you be? And his name is Nathan. And he said, I'd be a tuba because I play the tuba. And he was playing in the Christmas concert. And he played this solo piece with, a crisp, with just the tuba. And now, if you want to even get a little bit more into the spirit of Christmas in Winston-Salem, where we live, there was a Christmas concert of about 18 tubas. It was tuba-only Christmas concert. So can you imagine going to a Christmas? It's just tubas. You know, so there are a lot of tubas in Winston-Salem, but that's because of the Moravians and the School of the Arts but that was there. But I asked Nathan, I said, why would you be a tuba? He said, why would you? Well, he said, I love to play it. He said, in high school, I was kind of a geek, and they needed a tuba player in the band. And so I signed up to play the tuba, and I fell in love with the tuba. But I also realized if I play the tuba in the band, now you have to be a teenage boy at this point, okay? So if you're a tuba player in the band, what's the benefit of that, all right? The girls liked him being the tuba player. And he says, I've met all these girls, and I had friendships for the first time. So see those side benefits of being an instrument. So anyway, um, but it was so much fun to talk with Nathan uh, about that and what it means to play an instrument. But what would it look like to be an instrument? So uh, what would it look like to, to be a saxophone or a a bass guitar or a drum or whatever. But you see that idea, that metaphor is that God has a song, music he wants to bring through you into Christmas time. Now, if you were to ask me, what is one of your top 10 movies? Uh, and uh, again, this always grosses my, my kids a little bit who are 
who would choose other movies, but it would be The Sound of Music, you know. So The Sound of Music, I can remember as a young kid watching it, and as I've watched it other times, you remember that great scene where uh, the person that Julie Andrews is going to marry, he hears the sound of music in his house. And he's very depressed and discouraged. But music comes back into his house. Um, and just the sound of music and what she brings into, uh, into that family is just so amazing. Because you see, we're in a culture that's stoical, uh, that's pretty, you know, just get through it, live through it. Can't wait for Christmas to be over. You kind of got the Scrooge, the Grinch, the grumpy uh, person. But you see, if Christmas is really coming into us like it did for Mary, because she writes this song, then music is going to flow in and it's going to flow out. And we're going to find ourselves singing those Christmas carols, not from our heads, but from our hearts. So, one other quick illustration to get us into the passage today is so one of uh, my favorite ACC coaches, and most of you know I went to that community college in Chapel Hill. So, uh, you know, but uh, there was a coach at Georgia Tech, Bobby Crimmins. Some of you will know who he is. And uh, I loved to watch him coach because he was so engaging and so intense with his uh, team. And uh, you have watched a lot of sports uh, you know when a team is playing, but they're not playing together, and they just seem to be going through the motions. So Bobby Cribbins would, you know, he'd have a coat and tie on and all this, but he'd pull his coat back, and he'd grab his shirt like this, and he'd look at his team, and he'd start yanking his shirt out like this, you know? And basically what he was saying is, show me your heart. Play with heart. Where's your passion? And that was his signal of, like, guys, get engaged in the game. Get out of your head. Get into your heart. And in some ways, that's what the whole story of the Bible is. The whole truth of Jesus coming is he wants you to get you out of thinking and being limited to what you can only think, what is rational, and to get in your heart and see how rationality fits into the greater majesty mystery of God revealing himself to people like us. So I want you to go with me now to verse um, 19 in uh, Luke 2, where we read right at the end of the story of what has been read to us a couple times this, this morning is this. So I'm going to turn over one page real quick, where it says this, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Um, the joy of Christmas comes about as we rediscover and answer the question, where is your treasure? So this Christmas, as a gift to you, I want to encourage you to think about, where is my treasure? And do I treasure Jesus? Is he my treasure? Because Jesus said, that's where your heart will be. Now, if you go to Matthew 6, this is in, Jesus taught this a lot. He repeated these ideas a lot. He said, where is your treasure? Because if your treasure is him, all of life will fit together. There'll be a synchronizing of everything you hope for, dream about, because you're putting Jesus right in the place where he is supposed to be in the center of your solar system, where all of a sudden, oh my goodness, life begins to take on meaning and fellowship, and all these things come to you, some you're asking for, some unexpectedly, because there's a harmony and there's a gravitational pull around Jesus in your life 
where things begin to happen. Now, uh, a guy I got to know in Winston-Salem who teaches physics uh, at Wake Forest, he liked to tell the story this way. He says, whenever I put myself in the center of my universe, think that I can hold it together, that my marriage will thrive, my kids will thrive, my career will thrive, and you can go right down the list. He says, whenever I'm in the center of my universe, everything just goes out of orbit, <laughs> you know? My marriage struggles, my kids struggle, uh, my career struggles, everything goes out of orbit. But here's the beauty of the invitation this Christmas. If Jesus is your treasure, then things are going to begin to happen to you and for you that you're going to say, I'm finding my marriage beginning to be what God intended it to be. I'm a much better dad. I'm a much better dad. So there's a guy I worked with uh, a couple years ago, and what brought him to the place where he was willing to ask for help is uh, his son began to see how, you know, just hard he was, how lost he was, disconnected. He was so absorbed in his own issues. He had tremendous grief over his mother having died suddenly. But he was home, but he wasn't at home. And so in tears, his son said to him one night, Dad, I need a different dad. I need a different dad. And it really broke him. <laughs> I mean, he kind of woke up and said, whoa. And so he started being with me and some other guys in the ministry I'm involved in. And I tell you, folks, if there was one thing I would say in that particular year, which was so like Christmas, was once he began to realize God's love for him through Jesus in a fresh way, he began to go to his wife and his son and his daughter and apologize for how disconnected he was and how dis detached he was and how now he has a relationship, particularly with his son, that is just off the charts, unbelievably good. You see, when Mary is treasuring and pondering, she's she has a glimpse of what all this is going to mean for us. She's, she's able to think way beyond because in her song she talks about from generations to come. People will think about me and what happened at Christmas time, and we're living in that right now. But the power of Christmas comes this way, that if you want what God wants for you this Christmas, treasure Jesus. Not just say he's my Savior and my Lord. Treasure him. Now, if I was to ask you, how would someone make you feel treasured? What would they do for you where you would feel and experience a deep love and affection for them? What would be happening? So let me give you another way of seeing Christmas, and that's through this, is that um, Jesus tells a simple parable, Matthew 13. There's a whole bunch of them in there. It actually ends up at the end of Matthew 13. For those who love to read scriptures, it says at the very end with all these parables, it says, bring out the old treasures and the new treasures. Okay, so Jesus tells this parable, and most of you know this parable. It's just a couple verses, he said, this man went and saw a field, and in the field there was a pearl of great price. And he went and sold everything he had to buy that field. All right? So we think about that. And when Jesus is saying, if you're going to be a disciple, you've got to give up everything to follow me. 
uh, because I am the pearl of great price. And so to treasure me, you've got to surrender everything about you and about your story so that you can find what I am like for people like you. So to treasure Jesus means, is there anyone or anything beyond or above him? Do we love anything more than him? Uh, a person, a thing, an idea, whatever. Jesus says, if that is happening, you're not going to treasure me, but actually you're going to miss what I have for you. But see, when you read the story a little bit more deeper, here's the story behind that parable. Jesus is saying this. This man went and saw a field, and he saw in the field a great treasure. He sold everything to get that field because the treasure was there. There was the pearl he was after. Now, when you look at that and you go, Jesus is inviting me to love him and treasure him that way because here's the wonderful, here's the amazing great news this morning. Jesus is saying, I saw you as my treasure. I, saw, I gave up everything to purchase you and buy you so that you would be mine. You see, to understand the mystery of the gospel, to be able to understand the mystery of what it means to treasure Jesus the way he treasures us is that he went totally bankrupt to purchase you and me. And it was more than just to purchase us through uh, his sacrifice. It was for him to give up heaven and everything that was his so that he could make real to you, this is how much I love you. I am willing to sacrifice everything I have to make you mine. So to treasure Jesus is to realize I'm this loved. I am this pursued. Everything I could ever hope for has been opened up to me. All the promises are yes and amen in him. So do you treasure Jesus this Christmas? Uh, and you're saying, man, I miss it. It's just not happening for me. Here's what you want to think about. Like Mary, you want to treasure what you've seen in Christ for yourself. Treasure it. Start where it means something to you and let it build out. Because if you do, you'll begin to think about it and then you'll begin to practice what we've seen in um, this story. Now, again, right at the verse that comes after this is, it says the shepherds, after they had done their job of telling Mary and Joseph and everybody else who might have been there, what they'd seen, it says the shepherds left glorifying and praising God. They went home and they kept telling people what they had seen. Now, we need to know the next part of enjoying Christmas is, is that who's the person in your life right now who you need to tell them about the meaning of Christmas? Who's the person that's in your story, a family member, a friend, um, a neighbor, a coworker, that you could sit down with them and say, hey, I'd, I'd just love to have a conversation with you about what Jesus has done for me. Would that be okay? Or like the guy who led me to Christ, he was so bold to say, after we had been talking for a few minutes when I was 19, out of nowhere, he just launches this you know, gospel grenade over the wall. He says, Clyde, who do you think Jesus was? And I'm sitting there going, what is that? <laughs> you know, I was totally taken off by the, him asking that question. Um, somebody's waiting on you at a table and you say something like this. Um, hey, uh, we're getting ready to pray over our meal. Could we pray for you right now? 
or you're just chatting casually with somebody you meet on a walk or they're your neighbor and you take them some Christmas cookies and just say, hey, could we talk sometime about how Jesus has helped me because I believe that's what you're looking for. It can be as simple as that. But to know the joy of Christmas is to find that what the shepherds discovered when they saw this great event happen to them is that they were overwhelmed with a couple things. One, they were overwhelmed that God would reveal himself to them because you see the shepherds were low rung. You know, Jesus said, I'm coming to preach good news to the poor. The shepherds were low economically in every other way. But shepherds were so minimized in that culture, they could not be legally a witness to anything. Okay, so they were totally discounted from appearing in court. So if you had a problem and you had a shepherd as your witness, you couldn't use it because he was a shepherd. <laughs> so, you know, you might think, who am I to witness to Jesus? You know, I feel so disqualified from talking to anybody. I look at my life, I look at where I am, I'm such a mess. Who am I to tell anybody about, about Jesus? Exactly. <laughs> because <clears throat> it's not about your goodness, your righteousness, your status. You can say to somebody, Something like this. Um, tell me, uh, I've been wrestling with feeling guilty a lot, and, um, and I, I'm beginning to find some answers to my guilt. What do you do when you feel guilty? What do you do when you feel guilty? See, that's a great question with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, because they do feel guilt, and they need an answer, and you have the answer. Because you can say, let me tell you about a God who forgives. And we did that already in our service today. We confessed. Um, we got assurance that we are forgiven. But you see, God has called you to witness to the treasure that he has made you so that you can share other, with other people the delight and the joy of being loved so dynamically, dramatically, never-ending story. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh. It is such good news of great joy. And again, we forget how good it is and how great it is because we turn in on ourselves, we put ourselves in the center of our world, and we're expecting everything to rotate around my ability to make my life work, my kingdom come, my will be done. Uh, but that's not the way it works. Put Jesus back in as the treasure at the center of your universe. And you're going to be amazed with how God's going to open up things for you and reveal things to you. And here, again, is part of the good news of great joy that the shepherds and anybody who follows Jesus knows this, is that this, is that God is a God of second chances. God is a God of second chances. Um. Let me share with you a verse that you can look up and think about later. It's in Proverbs 24, verse 16, and here's what it says. And most of you know enough about the Bible to know, whoa, is that in that Bible? I mean, where, where, how'd you find that? You know, And it says this, the righteous man falls seven times. So what is it saying there? As even the most, you know, identifying yourself as righteous, you're really working hard, at being the best that God wants you to be, but you keep falling down. You keep stumbling. You keep yelling at your children. You keep being impatient with your spouse. You keep um, looking at things you shouldn't look at. You keep going, oh my gosh, 
I should have stayed home and watched the World Cup today. I don't know what this guy's talking about today, but I sure wish I'd stayed home and who's winning, by the way. And so you're just tempted to look at your phone. What's the, yes, what's the score? Um, but your heart is not engaged with the truth. There's no greater place to be than right here, right now. <laughs> you know? And I'm not guilty of those people who I will call after the service. Where were you this morning? Now, I won't do that, okay? And just say, did you enjoy it? You know, it was, was it good? But do, do you see, again, that when Jesus is your treasure, when your life is beginning to harmonize around him, he says, I'm going to open up everything for you. I'm going to make your life so incredible in the way you're able to live and understand what life is. But here's the exciting thing is, is that when I'm talking to somebody and I'm a pastor and they expect me to be perfect and have all my act together and go, uh, let me share with you, I struggle with that. Um, let me share with you some of the things that God's been leading me through over the past few weeks or whatever. And I share my brokenness with somebody, tell my story. Very rarely have I had anybody who's not a believer go, you struggle the way I do. <laughs> you have problems like I have. Uh, <clears throat> when I tell them some of the suffering I've been through and whatever, <clears throat> here's the incredible good news. Is that Jesus uh, loves people so much that he's going to keep loving them because it says in Proverbs 24, the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets out. How do you get back up after you've blown it? How do you get back up when you fall back into that same thing you've been trying to not do? It's Jesus picks you up. We sang that this morning. Jesus picks you up and says, let's get back up. Let's start over. See, we serve a God of second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth chances. <clears throat> now, I want you to go with me to Peter. In uh, the Gospel of Mark, you can look this up later, verse 10, 21. It's my favorite verse in the Gospels. So it's the story of the rich young ruler, and he's trying to figure out how to assure that he'll be in heaven through his own effort and good works. And Jesus has some, says some things to him, and he gives a very bold, blatant, wrong answer, but he's convinced he's right. Okay, he's, he thinks, I got this, Jesus. I've done that. Check, check, check. You know, show me the way to the gates. I can't wait to get in, all right? And it's the totally wrong answer. And Jesus says something which exposes that in a very loving way. And the guy, at that point, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus doesn't say anything to him, but here's what's going on. He's just given the wrong answer. He set himself up to be in fall bad. It says Jesus looked at him and loved him. All right. Most of you know Mark's gospel is Peter's gospel. So why in that gospel is that verse included, that idea in Jesus' experience in the story? Why would that be there? So... Have you ever had this experience where you really blow it and you realize God's right there saying, I still love you. <laughs> you know, you just blew it, but I still love you. I'm with you. Or you have that just sense of the smile of Jesus is showing up even though you have been at your worst again and you can't believe you're back in that place again. You see, Peter knew that look, didn't he? <laughs> 
Peter knew what it was like to do something really dumb or say something really stupid. And you can imagine how many times he would say something or do something. If you know the Gospels, he's constantly getting into trouble. Um, But Jesus would look at him and love him. He knew that look. Do you know that look this Christmas? See, Mary saw that look. Uh, She knew it was coming because of the way the angel said to her, do not be afraid. I am with you and you are highly favored. Um, you don't need to be afraid. When you know that affirmation and confirmation of God's never-ending love in your story, then you want to live in Jesus' story, and that look begins to just change you. So anyway, so uh, to fast forward now, Peter denies Jesus three times, the cock crows, and you remember what happens. So here's Peter at the low, lo- I mean, he's just betrayed Jesus He's standing off to the side. He's being taken away. And Jesus looks and loves him, looks at him. And it says that Peter breaks and he weeps. Was it because Jesus was saying, Peter, I told you you'd do it. I told you you'd be this bad. You're such a, you're such a blowhard. You're so arrogant. You know, what's wrong with you, Peter? No, when Jesus looked at Peter, he loved him. And that's why Peter, I think, includes that in Mark 10, verse 21. I'm almost 99% sure. I can't wait to ask him, but I'm pretty sure Peter said, do you know what it's like to get it totally wrong and still be loved? Have it totally wrong and still be loved. You see, that's the magic. That's the wonder of Christmas, that Jesus came to reveal that kind of love for us so that we would say, glory to God in the highest with the angels. And you see this in this verse, because, again, this is where we want to kind of bring it down, is it says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Um, When Jesus is your treasure, you know he is pleased with you. Uh, In this song we might sing today, Good, Good Father, uh, Chris Tallman has this line, I hear whispers in the night of your love for me because with me you are pleased. Well, God's pleasure is over your life, over your story, because he's given you the gift of trusting in Christ. You know he's pleased with you. And it's more than that. You are his treasure. He really does treasure you. And he can't wait to open things for you, to give you gifts and whatever. But some of you have got those gifts that he's given you, and you haven't opened them. You haven't had the desire or the ability to be like Mary. I want to treasure this. I want to think about this. Some of you have already seen things that I've talked to you about, and you know that God is pursuing you, saying, here's another gift to show you how much I treasure you and I love you. And when those things begin to connect and are real for you, you can't be the same. You just cannot be the same. So let's pray this Christmas that there be a new encounter with this treasure exchange, this great gift exchange, where we say to Jesus, uh, thank you for treasuring me, and now I want to treasure you the way you treasure me. Wow, that's Christmas right there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the gift that you've given us in your son and for the way you pursue us and love us. And you made a way for us to know the peace that passes understanding because your pleasure is in us and for us. 
And so, Lord, um, we come today not as good people, but as your people who are the people you are pleased with um, and the people that you love so much uh, that you're willing to send your son and have him pay the ultimate price. He went completely bankrupt so that you and I might be rich beyond measure, uh, that he became poor, that through his poverty we would become rich with the riches of heaven. Jesus, we treasure you this morning because you've given us yourself, the greatest gift we could ever hope for, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand and worship.